Welcome to Minnesota Minds, Cultivating Creativity. I'm Rachel Lauer. And I'm Alicia Tyson. We're your hosts, two Minnesotans with backgrounds in journalism and a passion for all things creative. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of Minnesota's coolest interdisciplinary artists who tell inspiring stories of their creative processes, wins, defeats, and discoveries. From butter sculptors to book art specialists, ceramicists to sommeliers, pastry chefs to painters, Minnesota Minds explores a wide range of creative endeavors and digs into why the highs and lows of artistic expression play such a key role in our joy and survival. Rachel, you just got back from Chicago recently. Tell me all about what you did. Yeah, so I went to Chicago with one of my friends from college. Shout out Kelly. Hi. Don't know if she listens, but it's okay. <laughs> so anyway, we um, took a road trip to Chicago because there was a musician that we both like who was performing there who wasn't going to make it to Minneapolis on their tour. So I'll wait and uh, share about the concert on the next episode. Um, Yes. (laughs) But I wanted to share a little of um, the rest of our itinerary. So we were just there midweek for two nights and we, we packed it in. We did lots of fun stuff. So the first place we went that I really loved was Ipsento Coffee. I had a Nutella latte that was so delicious. It was like very hazelnutty, but not like, I thought it was going to be super, super sweet like Nutella, but it was definitely more of like a hazelnut with, it was sweet, but not overwhelmingly. So, so that was really great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They also had really great breakfast sandwiches. So I had one that was on like this huge croissant that was so good. And it had like tomato and pesto and egg. It was incredible. That was a great breakfast. The other breakfast place we went to was Cafe Roby. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's R-O-B-E-Y. And I had one of the best omelets I've ever had. Um, It was like potato and leeks. And it was just super rich and creamy. Insane. It was so good. Um, Oh, and it also had, it was like brava sauce, which... I'm not, I should look it up and see what it actually means, but I remember having patatas bravas in Barcelona and it's basically like fries with uh, mayo and hot sauce. So that was basically the vibe of this omelet where it was, um, had like fried potatoes in it and then it had like the mayo and sriracha or not sriracha, just hot sauce on top. So good. Yum. Yes. So those were great. And then... One other place that we went for dinner was called Monteverde. It was like an Italian like pasta and wine bar. Probably one of the nicest restaurants I've ever been to, which um, of course was funny because we had just been at the Garfield Park Conservatory right before, which was absolutely stunning, but very, very humid. Um, So we were a little hot and disheveled by the time we went to this (laughs) fancy restaurant. But that's okay. But the food was phenomenal. I went with two other peoples and they recommended splitting dishes there. So we tried um, an eggplant bruschetta. Bruschetta is the correct pronunciation, which I refuse to pronounce it right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Bruschetta, you know. Whatever. And then burrata that came with like um, some different like jams and uh prosciutto which i didn't have because i don't eat red meat but um i don't know if i've ever even had burrata before but it was so great we tried a pasta that was stuffed with potato um i'm blanking on the name of it it sounds very like eastern european it wasn't a pierogi but it was like kind of a similar similar vibe um but it had truffle on top like sliced black truffle which again like I've only seen on the cooking shows and have never actually had like had truffle oil, but never like slices of truffle. So I felt like the fanciest lady in the whole world. It was such a treat. Also, when we walked in, the whole restaurant did smell like truffle. So like if you're not into truffle, I maybe wouldn't recommend this place. Okay, that is good to know. Yeah, it, it was a little intense, but getting to actually eat the truffle then was very worth it. And then the last thing we tried was a 
dish that had like chicken thigh and cris- crispy potatoes and the potatoes were like truly one of the best things I've ever eaten they were so it was like little like those little round potatoes and I'm blanking on what they're called but anyway they were just like super super soft on the inside or it was almost just like felt like mashed potatoes and the outside was really crispy and coated in breadcrumbs and it must have been lemon zest it was really lemony and it was like the most decadent combination of like textures and flavors so anyway i can't recommend that place enough so that's, that sounds that's dreamy right it was yeah it was really delightful and then we also had some cocktails so i had a good um nope i didn't write it down <laughs> i'm referring to every time i travel i make a list of like i don't know if you can see it but of, of all the things First, I make an itinerary of all the things I might want to do, and then I make a second list of all the things I actually did do and every single thing I ate. It's it's a lot, but it really helps if people want travel yeah. recommendations. So totally, <laughs> and it helps like solidify the memory. Yes, yes, I think yeah that that's truly the the biggest piece of it. It's basically like just keeping a mini travel journal, basically yeah. just with like <laughs> the bare bones details, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yum. That's that's such a great idea. And that sounds so good. We're good. We're good trip planners. That's what we learned. (laughs) Apparently. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, It's like you knocked it out of the park. We did. We sure did. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, well, two weekends ago, I went on a nature, like a forest therapy walk. Yeah, she's a friend of mine, Mel Schneider is a certified guide, certified forest therapy guide. And so she led us on a two hour guided walk through this really beautiful wooded area in Maple Grove that I'd never been to. And it was so peaceful. It was chilly because it was eight o'clock in the morning and the sun was just starting to rise and the sun looked like through the trees looked so pretty. Um, And she does a really great job of helping you to kind of stay engaged with nature through different prompts or she calls them invitations. So things you could do if you want to that use your different senses. And then at the end we gathered and had a little tea together and talked about like our takeaways and it was delightful. So I highly recommend that. And then I actually met up with Mel last week after the forest therapy, like a few days later, we went to a tea shop and Unlike you, I am not prepared. <laughs> um, so let me look up the tea shop name real quick here. But it was it was lovely. I had never really been to a a tea shop like that. Northeast Tea House. We went to it's on Hennepin, and it is lovely. So you can you can you can do individual cups of tea but what we did was we got a pot of tea to share together and it was one that i don't know exactly how to say the name but it's slightly fermented so it kind of adds like a little deeper flavor to it and then on the tables so they bring out for you this whole little like kit it's really lovely so on the table there's built into the table this device that keeps your teapot heated at this perfect temperature. So there's a little dial there. Oh, it's so fun. So yeah, so it keeps it heated at the perfect temperature. And then he has a tray and there's two other pots. So one of them has your tea leaves in it and you just pour in however much water you want. And at first you steep it for just like 30 seconds. And then you pour it into this through a filter into a glass pot and then into your tiny little tea glasses, teacups. Um, And then over time you have to let it steep more and more, but it was delicious. And at first it was like, this is the tiniest teacup. Like I'm going to sip it down in one sip. And I was embarrassed because I didn't want to chug the tea in front of my friend who's very cultured. I feel like <laughs> and, um, I didn't want her to embarrass her for bringing me to this place. And then over time, as we talked, like it really forces you to slow down and you can just like cradle it in your hand and it's nice and warm. And it just made me feel like more in the moment. And we just had a great talk for like an hour, hour and a half. And it was super cozy. It was a rainy night. So it was like a perfect night to go have tea. Sounds um, amazing. It was delightful. I would definitely do it again. And they do have snacks as well. We didn't get any, but they have so many teas. I mean, so many. So if you're into tea, I recommend it. Cool. So it Is it like tea from like, 
a, any certain like culture or area or is it just kind of like a wide variety? So it's Gung Fu tea service. So there's matcha, there's kombucha. I didn't see that. Um, but as far as where it's from. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big tea drinker, so I don't know a lot about sort of which teas are used traditionally in different parts of the world. I don't really either, to be honest. Yeah. And this is rooted, this way of tea drinking is rooted in like the way Buddhist monks, I guess it's not exactly how they perform like a tea ceremony, but it's just kind of pays honor, pays homage to that, that tradition. Cool. But it just says East Asian culture. So I think it's maybe a variety of countries, but that's a great question. I'll have to find out more. Anyway. Yeah, it's great. Did (laughs) you just try one kind of tea while you were there? We did. Yep. We just had like one pot and it, you could just keep brewing and keep brewing. Um, And it kept its flavor for like many, many brewings over the course of four and a half. But she said she used to go to a different tea house. I can't remember the name. And they would have a thing where you pay like 15 bucks or something, or you would sit around a table with other people and the staff would brew a bunch of different types of tea. And then they would go around and you could try a bunch of them and they'd tell you about the history, which also sounds fun. So if I ever get the chance to do that, I'm definitely going to. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. That's fun. Marianne is a Minneapolis writer, educator, and editor. Her essay on the making of a Mulu, which originally appeared in Fourth Genre, received a notable in Best American Essays 2022. She was a Fulbright Scholar in Malaysia in 2016, and she's at work on her first book of essays about identity, race, family, culture, illness, and travel. Right now, she's working as the Interim Education Program Manager at the Loft Literary Center. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with us about creativity today. Happy to be here. Marianne, you and I met a while back because I'm scheduled to teach a class in a few weeks at the Loft. Um, So we did a little coffee meetup. And then Rachel is, I met her through the Loft, actually through a class. And then we continued on together in a writing group. And then we decided, hey, let's do a podcast. So it's really all because of the loft. So we're big fans. We're all fans of the loft. Absolutely. And we were thinking it would be really fun to interview somebody who works at the loft. And then when I met you, um, I was like, oh, Marianne's lovely. Let's talk to her (laughs) and just learn about, you know, kind of your role there. But also your other, like you had told me a little bit about your other creative background and other projects you've been a part of. So uh, maybe we can just jump right into it, if that's okay. Yeah. Well, we can jump into our icebreaker round. A couple of quick questions just to start things off and get to know you. Um, so the first question I have for you is, what's the last book you read that inspired you? Oh, the last book that I read that inspired me was... Felicia Rose Chavez is decolonizing the creative writing classroom. Um, She came to the loft this past um, summer and did some uh, trainings with our teaching artists. And so I had read that book in grad school, but wanted to kind of brush up on it. Um, So it was interesting doing a second read, you know, from the like years after reading it the first time and um, yeah, being able to dive, dive back into that work. And just sort of inspire my own, you know, writing and pedagogy as well. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. The next uh, speed round question we have, um, since we noticed some of your articles and essays are food related, can you tell us about a favorite meal you've had recently? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So actually, last night, so we got back from camping. We were super tired, um, my partner and I. And we just made like a regular home cooked meal, um, chicken and rice, but adding a little bit of flavor in there, you know, some sesame oil, soy sauce, things like that, and some veggies. 
some of which I actually grew myself in my garden, which was really exciting. Yeah, it just, I food just never tastes, it just tastes so good, you know, after being out on the trail for a little bit, even one night. Um, and just, I don't know, the nostalgia, I think of that meal for me always brings me back. So it's always a good one. That sounds so good, especially with some sesame oil. Ooh, that sounds great. <laughs> veggies, yeah, it was good. I had to get rid of a lot of veggies. They were going to go bad. So I was like, let's <laughs> in. Went great. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I would love to know, Marianne, could you tell us a little bit about what creativity means to you and how you've engaged in creativity throughout your career? Creativity to me is... I think all about being interdisciplinary. So like crossing over genres, you know, looking at an item or, you know, a moment of life from these different perspectives, whether it's from the perspective of writing, art, music. I think it's just this freeing sense of I can pursue all of these possibilities, you know, like with my imagination, um, with my words and my voice. And I think for me, Creativity is also a way of being. So like teaching, for example, is as generative to me as writing is often, or even the act of creating something, because to me it is, you know, another form of creation where I'm connecting with students. And I don't know, I find that like idea generation or hearing their thoughts on things, it inspires my own work and my own questions that I tinker at in my, my writing. So yeah, I think, I think you need all of it. You need the research, you need the books, you need the the conversations, the connections to make, to be creative. We were talking to Nicole Kronzer, one of the loft instructors. Um, her class was the one we met in and we interviewed her for the podcast. And she was talking similarly about how teaching and writing can kind of nourish each other in a way. It really is like a nourish, a nourishment. And then, you know, you feed it. I think I also feed it through experiences like getting out into nature or exploring new cultures, traveling. I think that also generates a different side of creativity too. But then when I'm revising, weirdly, I like to be more of like staycation type vibes, you know, where you're kind of in one place and you can buckle down. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting how, yeah, the ways that we exist, they play into the writing. Do you have a favorite place you like to go to do writing? I really like being in my office. Um, I think I've, you know, curated a good kind of vibe for it. But I think, yeah, just anywhere I can have have a mix of seating spaces, you know, like I like to have a comfy chair. I also like to have a desk, you know, I can kind of sit and stand. Yeah, I think it's just about being in that right headspace. You mentioned, too, that travel has been an inspiration creatively for you. Have there been any... Any places you've been that stand out as places that were really creatively inspiring? Yes, I used I lived in Vietnam for six months. And I think being there, it was so overwhelming with all of the senses and just the changes that I was going through at the time. And writing was one way for me to, I think, just keep track of things. Um, I was blogging at the time and, you know, it was just a, a private blog too. Like I wasn't even sharing it with well I was sharing it with some people actually and I think it was just one way of me for me to make sense of it and you know being in an unfamiliar space I think it does it sort of like revs the engines a little bit you know it it, it sort of disconnects you from your like insecurities and preconceived notions about yourself puts you in this unfamiliar space where anything's possible and you can just create new material without judgment we were reviewing some of your work that you have listed on your website and it looks like nonfiction is probably where your interests lean the most. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Okay. And then subgenre wise, what area of nonfiction do you enjoy the most? Would you say? I think essays, personal essays, um, lyrical essays in general are what always end up, yeah, capturing my attention, at least my own writing always gravitates that way. I try not to, and then it just goes that way. I don't know what happens. <laughs> Can't fight it. You just got to, yeah, I it. just get lost, <laughs> but <laughs> I love reading all types of writing, but yeah, for me personally, I think I love, I think it's 
the braided essay that's my favorite just because you can bring in all these different aspects of research, scholarly work. There's just different perspectives and voices you can bring into it that are really interesting to me, the structure. Yeah. I have someone in a different writing group that's working on that. She's still trying to figure out how to structure her her piece, but the braided, she's kind of exploring that idea. And that just sounds fascinating. It sounds daunting to me because there's so many different pieces you have to mesh together, but also really beautiful when it's done. Exactly. I was just thinking about with writing personal essay, how do you work on that in a way that like, to me, it feels like a really, really vulnerable art form to be sharing your real life with people. How do you balance that? I think it's really hard. I think that I'm like always more willing to reveal more about myself than other people, I think, because I think ultimately, like, that's what people are interested in, that perspective, that voice, like, what's the story? And um, it's less about, like, so I think it's sometimes less about the individual people, but it's like focusing more on me, I think helps me to deal with it. So I'm not like, I guess, accidentally revealing anyone's secrets or anything like that. I think that, yeah, I'm just like willing to shine a light on myself and be like, look, this is who I am. And I don't know, I'm like full of mistakes, but I am doing my best. So yeah, I think it's just about, yeah, being honest, being willing to turn that critical eye on yourself and yeah, just not be afraid of it. That's really inspiring. What has uh, feedback been like from, from maybe friends and family as you've kind of put out these personal essays they're very supportive they just like want me to I think do what makes me happy and finish the book would make me happy so like finish this book publish it they're really excited to celebrate it and I think just like seeing writing about like Filipino Americans being able to relate to some of the experiences and see themselves in the writing is I think really exciting I think that representation piece is so important so I'm really lucky to have people in my corner who are like, tell it your way and do what you got to do. And we'll be here for you. That's so great to hear. They're already planning your party. aren't they? I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can do it. It'll happen. Yep. Super cool. Um, And then speaking about your writing, could you tell us a little bit about your essay on the making of a muumuu? So I wrote some parts of this essay when I was going through my cancer experience. So I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 26, when I was abroad doing my Fulbright. And, you know, I had to go through all the steps of figuring out sort of what was happening. And eventually I did leave the program to come home and pursue treatment. And then I went into remission, um, you know, six months later after going through chemo and everything. So I'm healthy now, which is great. Um, That is awesome. Thank you. Um, And so this essay started with a blog post that I wrote when I was like at the very beginning of it purely as just a like record where you know I wanted to remember just kind of the nitty-gritty details and of you know this happened and then this happened and I was also getting a lot of questions at the time of like what happened you know how did did you know all of these things and so I wanted to write it down and share that blog post as opposed to having to retell the story a bunch of times and so when I was in grad school, I expanded onto this blog post into the essay that you see, and I spent a really long time rearranging, arranging it, you know, speaking to the the braided essay dilemma. It's like, which which piece should I put first? Um, how do I, you know, tell this story in a way that is true to that experience? And yeah, it, it took me a while, but eventually... I came to a place where um, I think I accepted that this was only the beginning. I pictured it as an essay, but then when I finished it, realized that there are so many pieces that are missing and that I want to expand upon. And um, and so I think that led me to pursuing it as like a full, you know, book project and generating all these other essays and figuring out how it's going to look and all things. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Been a long time in the making. So where, where's that project at right now? So I've been editing it and I've gotten it to a place where I think I have a structure set for it. I've accepted that it's a book of essays. That's definitely the structure that I want for it. 
And, you know, I think now it's to a point where I just need to generate new, new work to kind of fill in some of those holes because I finished a full draft of it, the book when I was in grad school. But I think since then I've really chopped it down and honed in on sort of what, what is important here? What's the story that I want to tell Um, beyond, you know, I think the, to me, the cancer narrative is a big part of it, sort of that main through line, but I think there's also a story there of like the person behind the illness that I want to speak to or, you know, get at what, yeah, sort of all of the compounding factors that led to that moment of breakage. Hmm. Wow. Do you have a anticipated publication date or is it still being like formulated right now? Yeah, I wish. No, (laughs) I still need to like go through the whole publication process, querying authors, things like that. So in my journey, I think I will, I picture finishing it and having it be like a fully realized thing before I bring it and like commoditize and make it a, you know, a whole, a whole ass thing. So I think getting it to a place where I feel, you know, it's still in that art stage of being, you know, molded and created. So getting it to a place where I can, yeah, I can stand on its own two feet will be an undertaking, but one that I think will hopefully come to, you know, soon. It feels close. Like it feels the closest it's ever been. So it's exciting. That's super cool. Can't wait. Stay tuned. You got to stay tuned and stay focused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As soon as we, um, as soon as you have more details, we'll be, we'll be following along and cheering you on. Thank you. So one thing that we like to explore with different creative folks that we interview here on Minnesota Minds is a little bit about the process and the joys and the struggles. We know that for most people, it's not like you wake up one day, you have an idea for a creative project, boom, it's done, it's perfect, it's beautiful. Like it's, it's a bumpy road sometimes in interesting in good ways and in hard ways. And so we were wondering if you would be willing and able to share any of those like joys and struggle stories that you've experienced during your creative journey. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, imposter syndrome was a big thing for a long time. I think I felt that as a kid growing up in a, like a predominantly white suburb um, as a biracial kid. So I always felt that from the start. And then I think with writing, you know, it really took me a long time to kind of find my footing and to place value on my voice really until I went through like my illness that I was finally like, you know what, you need to prioritize like what you want to get out of this life and pursue it. Try if you, if you don't try, you'll never know. So I think for me, just comparing myself to peers and then judging my work can be difficult, especially with social media because folks are constantly on, you know, social media talking about their successes, their failures, things like that. So you're just constantly like aligning yourself with what other people are doing and judging through that lens. And then I think also something I've struggled with through my creative journey is like creating a set routine for myself um, and carving out time for myself. I struggle with work-life balance and oftentimes put my own projects on the back burner. I mean, as as much as I love teaching, it's a huge thing that I give energy to. So it's hard to, I think, fully balance and realize all the things you want to do. I think with publication, I could totally show you my submittable and you can see all the rejections that I've I've gone through since 2017. It's endless, you know, just I think staying motivated year after year to continue to put your put put yourself first and focus on your goals. It's really hard. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So and the whole like rejection concept, you know, I see lots of people talking about that on. Um, different social media groups and like, you know, everyone's a little bit different, but it's easy to get discouraged. So what keeps lighting your fire and keeps bringing you back to it? I think just remembering that I'm not alone in this process as lonely as it does feel. There is a community of people out there who share the same struggle and go through this. Actually looking back at that history of rejections is good for me because then it is sort of like a way of tracking the like effort I've put into these projects. I have a goal of a hundred rejections a year where I'm like, I want to be submitting my shit all the time and go for every rejection I can and see it as like a, I don't know, a success, something to be proud of. There's a couple of residencies that I've, you know, every year I like go for it. And then I get that rejection. I'm like, 
not my time, not my time, but it's coming. So I just stay on to that. And just remembering that it's not a reflection of me or anything about me. It's so subjective. Totally. Try not to take it personally. It's easier said than done. That's for sure. Yeah. I've been revisiting this book, Atomic Habits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's good. Yeah. There's a lot of little nuggets in there. I've been like highlighting and stuff. And one thing he talks about is focusing more on the person that you want to be versus the the outcome. Like goals are good, but at the end of the day, goals are kind of like short term. And then if you achieve that goal or don't, then what? So he said, it's good to like see yourself as the person who blah, blah, blah. Right. The writer. I am a writer. I am a teacher. And then, you know, aligning your your trajectory with that. And he talked too about how we can't, what you were saying just reminded me so much about like, we can't control the outcomes right. of everything. All we can control is our process and yeah. how we show up and what we do in our effort. And that's what you're celebrating when you're going and looking through that list. You're like, this is, this is the sign of my effort and all of the things that I've worked toward to achieve. And someday, maybe some of those will end up where, you know, you ultimately want them, but just in and of itself, having that piece right there to reflect your effort is huge. Exactly. And I feel like he also has this thing about like the five minute rule or something like that, where he talks about, um, you know, essentially like just, just giving that routine um, time and space every day, or maybe he said it takes five years to change a habit or something like that. Yeah. There's something about five years. There's something about five. It's either five minutes or five years, but I don't know. Um, Yeah. And I just think, also, I think seeing, I have a bunch of journals that I've kept since, gosh, such a long time now, really since I was a teen. But I think looking back at those and seeing, oh my gosh, you actually have so much content you could pull from. You just need to look back at those pages and do it, knowing that you're not starting from scratch. You know, I think that can be a really daunting thing is feeling like, where do I even begin? But knowing that it's actually, you have all the pieces right in front of you. You just need to figure out where they go. Definitely. I think that's interesting that you bring up, you know, that you have these journals that you've kept for a long time. I was wondering if that was a factor of sort of your process writing these personal essays, if journaling is a piece of that. I'm curious, like, when did that start for you? When did journaling and and writing these personal essays kind of become a part of your life? I think I started journaling. Like the first journal I remember keeping was when I was in grade school, I think. And then at some point, I think it was in middle school or junior high, I switched to like computer journaling. Like my first one was like a live journal. I had a Zanga at one point, blogger, I had them all. And so I had this like physical record, you know, in physical journal journals, but then I also have a digital record somewhere out there. I have to dig for it, but of, you know, all of my trials and tribulations as a kid. But I think that definitely set me up with I think a a good habit of, you know, of, of creating a record of things that I go through or yeah, just having that as like a repetitive action, even beyond just my personal writing. I think I rely a lot on journals or um, I have like a, you know, journal for work. I like having separate journals where it's like they each have sort of their designated purpose to help me kind of keep it organized. Otherwise everything would be everywhere. It would be <laughs> messy. <laughs> Are any of your old journals sort of making their way into this collection of essays that you're writing? Definitely. I I have begun looking back at some old content that I wrote to kind of just get into that mind and, you know, perspective of the time. And then a lot of the documentation from my travels abroad, from when I was, you know, I sort of had to uncover what was going on with my, you know, my body when I was, when I was diagnosed and I, I, you know, went to the doctor, got these documentations. And so going through those documents and actually including that in the, in the book project has been really fruitful, you know, just looking back and I don't know, seeing what kind of emerges from all of these pages. So cool. It's just, it's amazing when you can, you know, pull from things that you probably thought would never see the light of right. day and become something that you you will hopefully publish soon. So that's exactly so exactly. 
So before we started recording today, you were talking about a trip that you did up north and just like soaking in nature a little bit. And I'm curious what role nature plays in your creative process. Yeah, I think that for me, staying connected to my body and staying grounded, you know, in the environment that I'm in is really, is really important to writing because it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, it's, you really have to take into consideration the context and For me, nature is one of those things where it helps me, I think, to always recenter and to find sort of like that true essence of what I want to do or what I'm trying to say um, and bring it back to the basics. Because, you know, you you really distill things down to, you know, building a fire, getting your tent set up, making dinner, doing sort of like these these very like specific tasks. I feel like everything else kind of washes away and it's just a nice way to be for a little bit. And then just getting out into the physical nature, breathing in the fresh air. I don't know. It's rejuvenating and helps me to drown out the noise a little bit. And um, I think I return to the work a little bit more like clear headed and able to, you know, focus once again on what's what's at hand for me, like North Minnesota, like the North woods, like Canada have always been a refuge. I grew up like camping and canoeing up in that area as a kid with other girls on canoe trips. And it's always been a, I don't know, it's always been a way for me to, to feel strong and independent. Like I can, I can do anything, you know, I can write this book. If I can do this, I can do, yeah, I can write these pages for sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. And then being part of a loft is, um, you know, that being a really strong local creative community you're definitely, when I talked to you um, a few weeks back, it sounded like being part of community is pretty important to you. And you've been part of some different writing communities over the years. What role do you think community plays in your process? Oh my gosh. I think that it's the backbone to the process in a way, you know, because I think it's just learning from the folks around me, learning from the history and what's been done already is so important to the process and to seeing, you know, where I want to go. When I came to the loft, it's like, it's got this storied history here in Minneapolis and Minnesota. And it's great to feel connected to other writers and artists, you know, in the city, because I, I lean on those relations a lot, you know, to be like, Hey, like, let's be in community. Let's, like you do your thing, I do my thing, like, but we're, you know, both creating and, you know, bettering our craft. It's a cool like relationship to be able to build. And um, yeah, especially the winters, it can be a little bit difficult to get outside sometimes. So it is nice too to have that like digital community where I can lean on folks that aren't just here in Minneapolis, but like I worked at Lighthouse Writers Workshop before here love all of my colleagues out there so I can, yeah, still like reach out to them or um, folks back home in Ohio. I don't know. Always, always know that my writing has somewhere to go. You know, it's the worst when you feel like I don't even know where I would send it, but I, it's great to know that like, I always have eyes and ears that are like willing to listen and to give me honest feedback. Absolutely. And that connect some dots for us when you said lighthouse writers workshop because that's in denver right yes yeah and we were seeing we saw on your bio some of your work was centered in well it was at well uh, so a couple articles i wrote were for 5280 which is like a yes. publication in denver and okay. so i was doing a lot of like community focused writing on like food and culture and some of the communities around denver and that was really cool because it was like getting to know these communities like through their stomach and like what makes them tick in that way. And so that was really fun um, to get to know neighborhoods in that way. Um, But yes, I was in Denver for, I think about three or yeah, three-ish years before we moved here. That's awesome. Rachel has a little bit of, I hope it's okay. I'm outing you. (laughs) She was just mentioning she has a little connection to the, to the newspaper. Really? The magazine. I'm sorry. (laughs) Magazine, but I, I worked on some ads for their magazine. I worked at like a marketing company that advertised real estate agents and 
different kinds of professionals, but mostly real estate agents. And we, we partnered with that magazine. So when I saw the title, I was like, I think that's Denver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Denver. But my partner, he works in elevators, very different industry than me. So he got a promotion. We were like, let's do this. And then it just like the stars aligned and I was able to snatch up a job at the loft at the same time. So here we are. Cool. Yeah. That was the next question I was going to have for you was what, what brought you to the loft and a little bit about what your role is like there. Yeah. So I was working at Lighthouse Writers Workshop prior to coming here. I was doing um, community engagement and youth programming. And then my partner got a promotion and we sadly said goodbye to everything in Denver, but we're so excited about a new chapter in Minneapolis. Coming here and getting to know the community here has been really exciting. And it's just so like deep, you know, there, I just feel like the roots of the culture and yeah, just like artistic scene here are very deep. Yeah, I don't know. It's been just really wonderful to also get to know like the loft community, our classes. I've been on the sort of like adult and youth classes side of things. So that's been really fun to kind of dive back into education. And you're working one-on-one with some of the teaching artists? I work with all of the teaching artists and then I work with them one-on-one with like professional development or, you know, if they want to propose a class at the loft, I work with them to kind of shape that to see what we can do. And then recruiting new people to teach with us is always on my mind. And yeah, just generally like getting to meet people and talk to people. It's kind of the best thing ever. How do you go about recruiting new instructors? Basically, I have a coffee conversation with them and then I like them. I'm like, you want to teach? I'm going to bring that idea to the loft. But I think like, you know, word of mouth oftentimes is I'll I'll hear about someone. I'll be like really curious about them and I'll reach out. I'm like, hey, do you want to like ever get coffee or learn about, you know, more about our work? I would love to learn more about you. So connections that way. And then I think, yeah, just like people reaching out to me or applying. I mean, the loft really does have like, I think a lot of people look to it as like a great resource and place for people to come together. Yeah, it's been really, it's been really enlightening for sure. I know most of the classes, if, well, I guess all of the classes I've taken through the loft were kind of during the peak of the pandemic. And I know it was really opened up to people all over the place. You know, I feel like that was, I think, you know, pros and cons to that. It's it's great right. having our, our local Minnesota community, but it was really cool having instructors and students from all over the country and even all over the world um, yeah. classes. Yeah. I was curious, do you know if things are going to kind of stay opened up in that way at the loft going forward? Or maybe it was always like that. I I guess I don't they, know. You know, they did always have like an online program. I don't think it's it was as robust as it is now. Because um, I would say like, we're basically like 70, 30, like 70% online right now, 30% in person, I would say. And I see that balancing out more in the future, just because like, I really do think people are excited to be back in person. But I, you know, I also think that folks love being able to take a Zoom class and roll out of bed and go to class um, or yeah. not leave the house. So it's, you know, a really great opportunity. I like one of the first classes I took at the loft, it was a Southeast Asian poetry class. And like someone was zooming in from Malaysia, someone was zooming in from uh, like all over the US. So, you know, I just think to awesome. your point, like you, it's, it's really, yeah, it really does have its like its pros and cons because I think that that's amazing that you're able to reach people in that capacity. Um, so I think it's just, it's about, you know, yes and, you know, like we have this and we have this local community here in um, Minneapolis that we want to prioritize and create opportunities for connection because I don't think it should either is necessarily meant to rep- replicate or replace the other. You know, I think they're like separate things and they can both exist and and be really successful in each of their own formats. Absolutely. I've taken loft classes in person and via Zoom, and I've gone on to have really great um, writing partner groups, critique groups out of both of those. So, And actually the one that Rachel and I formed after a course, we have a, a fellow writer who's in a different state. So that's really fun. Actually two now from, from different states. 
Awesome. So that that is one of the huge things, like people that are really great and fun to connect with and learn from that we wouldn't have been able to locally. But then, yeah, also it is great just to be able to show up in person and have that like, I don't know, just what is that? What is that magical sense that happens when you gather in a class together in real life? There's just something there, right? Yeah, it's magical for sure. What have you all kind of learned from your conversations with different writers and artists? So Nicole Kronzer, I think it was really interesting. She talked two things that stood out to me were like kind of how having multiple endeavors can feed into each other. Like we were talking about the teaching and the writing can nourish each other in that way. And then also she just talked about how she started to get like really dialed into her like general wellness and how that helped her. Like she is focusing on her sleep and exercise and like she's cooking now. And she felt like that really kind of helped support her writing as well. So I thought that was pretty cool. I know we talked um, with someone who works at the um, right next door to the loft. I always say the name wrong, but the book art center. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So we talked to Heather Fletcher there about marbling um, since that's her main practice. And she talked about sort of like the ancient history of it and the way that it was used as meditation Awesome. You know, throughout history and then now and just I loved how when we first started talking, you had mentioned creativity being about being multidisciplinary. I think that's a huge piece that we've learned from talking to people is most most creatives seem to be firing on all cylinders, really, you know, doing so many different things, whether it's, you know, their kind of whatever their main art form is, plus teaching, or maybe they're they're writing and they're making visual art. Meditation teaching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So many different things. Yeah, I think it's just, it's interesting the way that I think when someone is creative and wants to like practice creativity, people find all these different avenues for it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I guess to the point about James Clear, like it, it's like more about the process sometimes and even the product. It's like figuring out what process works for me and how can I iterate for the future? Because ultimately it's about creating sustainable practices and figuring out, yeah, like how can I best serve myself in this work? Yeah, definitely. We talked about your manuscript that you're working on right now with the essays and then are there other creative endeavors that you're pursuing or is most of your energy around writing going into this work? I would say like most of my creative energies around this book, but um, yeah, like I, I enjoy poetry. So like journaling poetry, I think that helps me off as well to like get to that essence piece is like compression, you know? Um, so I'll, I think constantly be like tinkering with things, but um, I would say like the most like cohesive thing I have is this book piece or book project right now. I'm trying to think of like anything else I'm doing. No. Any local food writing? Okay. So I was thinking about that. I was like, I should get into it here in Minnesota. I just got to get connected. I'm not connected with any of the publications here. Yeah. I'm like still getting my feet under me with like, you know, getting to know the community here, but yeah. I should because there are some really great restaurants and I went to East Street Crossing and really loved the sushi sando. Well, I was just there, but I didn't try the sushi. Oh yeah, you I gotta tried try. some of the other food. Okay, I'll have to go back. Sushi sando. It's like a little sandwich. Sushi sando. Interesting. Intriguing. No. It's a fun little place. It really is. We had a, a staff meeting there upstairs and it just has good vibes overall, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of great little restaurants and I don't know, fun place to hang out. Rachel, have you been there? No, I don't think I have. No. Okay. Have we'll to. have to have our next like podcast meetup there. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. They have really good drinks too. Fun. That, yeah. one, I, that I didn't get a chance to try, but they, the bar looked really cool. Yeah. The bar's cool. And like, they have like astrological drinks, which are cool. I don't know if they're oh, anymore. Wow. Last time. That's great. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Do you have any other uh, restaurants in the Twin Cities that you'd be wanting to review? Oh my gosh. Yes. I would like to review Coyote. I forget what it is, but it's like kind of another 
I think Japanese fusion restaurant. That's really good. There, what was another one I went to recently? My gosh, my friend and I went to it. It's like a hot pot, hot pot one. It's Gayu Kaku Japanese barbecue. That place is so good too. Highly recommend. Um, On Lindale? Yes, Lindale. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I've never been. Yeah. Fun. That looks like a good, nice, warm, cozy place to be in the winter. Yes. Delicious. And honestly, maybe I should get that tonight. Dinner. (laughs) Sparking some cravings. But yeah, I would love to do some um, reviews here. I think it's just like a fun way to stay engaged with people. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I feel like interviewing is kind of like a muscle you got to work out or you lose it. So yeah, definitely. That's a good, I should work on that. I'm going to write that down. Put it in your journal. Exactly. I'm going to put it in my journal and then it will come true. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yay. Well, I can't wait to see. I mean, you've only been in the Twin Cities, like, was it six months? It hasn't been that super long. No, it's been like, um, oh, it'll be a year next month. Congrats. Yeah. You made it. One year. Yeah. So you've done the winter. You're not scared. Yeah, we did it. I know what that's about. Okay. You can do it again. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, thank you again so much. It was so great to meet you and hear about your story. Thank you. I appreciate you both for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, I'll definitely see you both around Loft. I can't Oh, wait. for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're sure. we're big Loft fans. Are we, what do you call that? Like a Swifty? Are we Lofties? Is yes, that- Lofty. <laughs> you are a Lofty. <laughs> <laughs> we're big time lofties so you'll see us around okay awesome <laughs> me too great night thank you have a great night Bye. Bye-bye. if you enjoyed this episode of minnesota minds cultivating creativity please leave us a review subscribe or share with a friend